wait a second. You're an enter- you're a go-go dancer mm-hmm. and you're and you're going to give a talk about objectification and like you know, my hackles were up. Yeah, of course. Uh, and that's like, and I knew that. That was the thing. I know. Oh, oh, I know. And it was brilliant because then what you did was you contrasted for me what happens in a club where you're in control of the situation. You're protected. There are boundaries. Yes. You're, you're getting paid. But then the interesting thing, what you said was in that situation, I'm empowered. Yeah. Listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody, and greetings from Menominee, Michigan, where my wife Marty and I are visiting her mom, the indomitable Edna Thorpe, uh, who at this moment is outside mowing the lawn. If you hear the lawnmower, that's that's my mother-in-law, who at eighty-nine is mowing the lawn not because I'm unwilling to help, but because that's what she does. And she likes to do it. She does it well. And uh, yeah, we're up here just hanging out for the week and uh, having a good time riding bikes and doing work. And I'm hopefully working on this book about connecting that I'm working on. And so there's a lot going on up here in Menominee, Michigan. If you don't know where that is, it's in the Upper Peninsula. You should look it up on a map. It is a remote and yet beautiful part of the world. And uh, among the things I've been able to do here in Menominee, Michigan, is I lined up an interview with Glenda Jordan, who you may not have heard of unless you uh, frequent nightclubs in Las Vegas, where Glenda Jordan is a go-go dancer and a performer and an entertainer and a really interesting feminist and a really good idea person who I, I didn't encounter in Las Vegas. I encountered her in Nashville when I was speaking at the Nashville Nuns Convention and I messed up my talk and screwed it up and was terrible and was sitting afterwards just feeling terrible about how badly my talk went and I heard her talk. And let's just say it was a lot better than my talk. And I ended up thinking a lot about it, having a bunch of questions about it. And uh, as I'm learning, if you actually reach out to people and say, hey, I would love to talk to you about your ideas, a lot of times they're willing to talk back to you. And so I called and said, listen, I wanna talk to you. And she said, sure. And I recorded the conversation and I'm gonna share it with you because I learned some stuff in that conversation. And it got me thinking about not just how I'm supposed to treat women in the world and how men and women interact in the world, but even more broadly about how I as a man can influence younger men and and, and what I can do to make the world safer all the way around and better all the way around when it comes to the interaction between men and women. So listen, it was... I don't know if you'll like it. It was a super helpful conversation for me. And so I'm going to share it with you. Before I do, all I'm going to say is, if you got any comments, if you want to support the podcast, if you like what we're doing, if you hate what we're doing, it's all at bartcampolo.org. 
And it's all at Patreon, where if you look up Humanize Me on Patreon or Bart Campolo on Patreon, you'll get to our Patreon page. And that's where there's like interesting new content and there's fun stuff going on and a picture or two here or there. And so the Patreon thing is a cool thing. The Humanize Me Facebook page is a pretty cool conversation. And we'll be talking more about that in future weeks because I'm going to get the guy who moderates it to come on the show and uh, talk to you about what's happening among the gang who sort of coalesce around this podcast. And, you know, if you're into it, share. Humanize me with a friend. You know, tell somebody that you like these conversations. Help us build the audience because the bigger the audience gets, the better the show can get because the easier it is for me to get good people on the show and all sorts of things flow out of people actually sharing so like i don't know if you if you do that whole rate the show on itunes or make a comment whatever it is that you do in that social media world that causes some people to become amazingly well known and other people to vanish into obscurity thrust it into the public consciousness do what you can because we're trying to promote a kind of an overall message of goodness. And to that end, here's my conversation with Glenda Jordan. I hope you dig it. Glenda, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. I, it, it's funny because my only encounter with you was a nightmarish ex- was our, <laughs> my nightmarish experience of speaking in front of you and not understanding my time and being told I had to leave the stage and I had done the worst talk ever. And so when I when I reached out to you, I was like, she probably won't even want to speak to me. <laughs> that absolutely is not true. I'd love to. I'm. I'd love to talk about this issue with anybody at any time. Um, and I appreciated. <laughs> everything that everybody was saying and but yeah so was i right in thinking that you doing your talk Mm -hmm. there you had not you have not done lots of public speaking Mm, no in fact i think that was my first that was my first real like conference speech anything like that yeah man (laughs) i i because like you were really good. <laughs> I, um, thank you. I was really nervous. It was just really fun, you know, because afterwards, you know, when I got over being sad <laughs> that I had done a ter- terrible job myself, um, my wife and I and a couple of friends of ours went out to dinner that night. And all we talked about was not what a good speaker you were, but about what you what you had oh said my God. and <laughs> what we thought of it. And, and that was what was so exciting to me. So... So that's why I was like eager to like engage you again, because part of it is purely selfish. Like I have some questions. Oh my God. I'm so honored and flattered. And I am very passionate about this subject. And I do hope that I, hopefully I come across as speaking from a place of knowledge and education about the issue at hand. And I, um, a lot of people tell me, especially after that speech that they simply, there was just information that they were, I mean, how many go-go dancers have you met or performers in the inter- female performers in the entertainment industry? Probably not very many. No, but what's interesting, interesting is, is I felt like 99% of what you said would have been just as 
impactful if you had been a 50-year-old woman from Poughkeepsie oh, totally. who is a gardening a gardening expert. Yes. Um, and that was my that was my goal is that I want people to be able to take that information and like continue and like okay well no I'm not uh, no I'm not a woman or I don't identify as one or I don't work in this industry but like these are this is how I ethically feel about all of those concepts like I don't you know we need to kind of like get rid of the idea that because you don't personally live a certain experience you can't somewhat speak about it. I mean, it's complicated, right? Like, I don't know what it's like, obviously, to be, you know, a migrant worker, an immigrant, that doesn't mean that I don't, that I shouldn't constantly try to like fight for like, okay, well, this is what they're experiencing. This is what they're going through. This is what we should, yeah. you know, it, there's a, but I also shouldn't speak over those voices when they, it's complicated. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily, yeah. yeah, it is. You're, you're right. And cause like, you know, and, and it reminds me of that Martin Nemore quote, or it says, you know, they came for the gypsies, but I wasn't a gypsy, so I didn't speak yeah. up. And then they came for the, you know, and then they came, they came for, for me, me and there was, no and there was left nobody left. Me. Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. And I think it was funny. I was thinking, I I, I, I read, I, I got an email from Mark Marin that, you know, like not a personal email, like I'm on his list. And he said, you know, I think we have to add that list. You know, they, they came for the immigrant children and I didn't speak up because I wasn't an immigrant. Or I was one. I just was just at least just a generation or two removed. Therefore, that makes right. it okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so you're right. I mean, I think we do, like, we need to have the ability to use our imaginations or to use our educations to be able to speak about and into and, and around experiences that are not our own personal ones. The, yeah. The but, key here is education and just ha being in possession of knowledge and facts. I mean, I know that sounds like very basic and cliche, but it's absolutely true. Like the, if you, that's just the most critical piece of information is to be informed on issues. So, so let me, so let me, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, I don't know where this podcast starts or stops, but like, here's what I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. It's like, I heard you give this talk about the way in which women get encountered or get, get, get dealt mm -hmm. with or, or get objectified or exploited or, or empowered in public spaces. Yes. And, 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 and so I, I heard you talking about this and my question is, when did you become sensitized or when did, when did it occur to you that this was an issue that was important to you? Um, probably about 12. That's usually, um, I had a conversation uh, when Me Too came around, um, or rather when it came back around because um, it was originally started by Tarana Burke several years ago. And then I think it was Rose McGowan who retweeted it, asking for it, um, the hashtag. And I made a post asking uh, fellow women when they started to be, when they started to be sensitive and notice male attention as it were. And this could be like, following or leering or compliments or like anything that was just sexual attention from men at what age. And I, I think it was probably around 12, but there wasn't anyone who was a teenager. It was all usually it was like 12 and under were the ages, which is horrifying, but important to recognize. And I think that's when I, it's weird because you start to have these things happen to you before you can describe 
even what's happening or what this feeling is, but you know that it's like, there is part of you that's like uncomfortable and not okay with it. But this is before, you know, so many times it's like, you don't even know what sex is. You don't even know what this is. And, but it's, but whatever is happening to you, it's upsetting. Like I'm, you know, being 12 or, you know, being, having men like follow me around or like ask to take pictures of me or whatever weird things. Like I remember thinking like, okay, this is making me uncomfortable, but I couldn't necessarily articulate why but that's probably around the age i became sensitive to the fact that like you just become aware of navigating the world as a woman like what your place is in relation to men and what they want from you and what some obviously have to make that qualifier what some men want from you and what what you present just existing in the world, not doing anything left or right, but just, but just literally existing and taking up space in public. And did anybody prepare you for this or orient you to this while it was happening? Like when you're 12, when you're 13, is there anybody in your ear saying, okay, this is what's happening here? Um, you know, as a kid, you're told, you know, this was, I grew up in the nineties and we had, you know, dare and stranger danger and say no to drugs so we were you know the whole we were given this narrative of there there are adults out there who could do bad things to you and will take advantage of you and you just have to be um you just have to be careful but it was just this all-encompassing you know boys and girls and this is not specifically as you get older as a woman, like, oh, you're, there's a whole realm of things that you will experience specifically. My parents were, you know, I grew up in the Bible Belt, but my parents were pretty like progressive and highly educated people. And my mother was really progressive for her time and for her area. And I don't feel like she never, I learned about, um, I learned about like sex education from her and from a program that she took us to that was taken that took place at the hospital that was like a medical education program at a really young age so i did i got factual information about quotes unquote facts of life but i i don't but not this navigational not this navigational stuff of like not i don't no i don't i don't feel like because you you learn at a really young age when you say like, hey, you know, this or just experiencing violence or sexual violence at the hands of men. I mean, in a very basic young way, like, oh, he pushed me down. He spit on me. He pulled my hair. You know, he teased me when you're a child. What are you, you know, girls are told when that happens to you, that that's a good thing and that he likes you and that it's because he has a crush on you. And we, we already condition women to 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 participate in the system that this violence that a man is is putting upon you is is a good thing and it's because they they like you and then when you're in high school it's just and you try to hey he you know snapped my bra strap he whatever it's boys will be boys and you're making a big deal out of this you're you're shut down really early at trying to call attention to these things are, and then beyond in college, Hey, I was walking to a bar or whatever. And these guys cat called me. It's like, well, you shouldn't have been walking by yourself. I mean, every time I feel like you start to bring up like this thing is happening to me and I don't like it. It's instantly the victim blaming starts. It's put on you. It, the onus of responsibility is not where it should be. I, I, it just, 
and I did, I didn't, I guess I had my feminist awakening, my real, like my, my, yeah, I was going to say, okay. So when, yeah, when did you, cause, cause obviously the way, even the way you're describing that experience at some point you became aware of the fact that like, this wasn't okay with you. And I'm just wondering like, when did you first get that? When, when did you first sort of awaken to that? I mean, idea? I guess I was, you know, I was always aware that it was, I don't know how much cussing is allowed on the show, but it was always bullshit. Like I was always aware that this was bullshit. It wasn't, you know, this was not, I was never okay with this. And I knew that this wasn't something that I should be okay with, but I, part of what helps us, language is so important and camaraderie and community and solidarity is so important and being able to read voices from women and hear voices from other people articulating, Hey, this is a global phenomenon. This is happening to me too. And this isn't okay. And here's why it's not okay. So where were you in college when this is happening? Like, where were you going to school? Knoxville, Tennessee. Like to some Christian Bible college? Were you going to like just no, Tennessee, this the University of Tennessee? The University of Tennessee. This is big orange. You know, it right. was a really Greek, um, super Greek campus. We had, uh, we were really famous for, um, I don't know if you know about this story, but one of the things that made UT really famous while I was there, like CNN and the Daily Show on our campus was the, um, was the butt chugging incident. I don't know if you know about this. Not at all. It's, uh, it, well, it's an example of like, you know, the toxic frat culture. Um, it's, it's actually really sad. This kid almost died. They, his fraternity brothers dumped him close to death in front of a hospital after, from having alcohol poisoning because they were doing, it's called butt chugging. It's, you basically do an alcohol enema and it surpasses your liver and it gets you drunk really quickly. And it was just this hazing frat party thing that they were doing. And it got the fraternity suspended for the second time because the first time was making their pledges do push-ups on broken glass several years ago. Okay. And they got like, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, don't get me like, started. Don't get me started. Cause like uh, I worked on, co I've worked on college campuses most of my life around Okay, them, So you know exactly. I, I, yes. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm so anti-fraternity like if there's if there's one thing you could do to change higher education for the better it would be just to abolish the whole greek system i hate it so much i remember i had this have you ever heard of um if you probably have if you studied uh fraternities and stuff tfm total frat move oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay so i remember you know looking at like the fraternity and sorority thing and TFM, like I'm sure you've heard of the, the, what they call women, like the, among fraternities, this, the nicknames for women are frat mattress and slam pig and slam piece. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, at least that, yeah. Yeah. At yeah. UT. And I remember like, this is, that's, and it, uh, being in a place where it's like, oh, I'm all, you know, I wasn't religious anymore. I had already left the church and I was all for like, okay, yeah, sexual, consensual sexual experiences between adults, all for it. That's just so, I, the frustration specifically, this one specific thing of men wanting women to be sexual for them, wanting them. It's like, okay, these frat guys, they want to have sex and they want these women to have sex with them. But when they do... These women are now called frat mattress, slam piece, slam pig. 
And TFM was this like social sharing website where it was hashtag TFM and was like making my frat mattress clean up the bedroom and make me cookies after doing my homework because that's her place in life. And like being, and that being like, haha, that's funny. And, and other stuff too, like spitting on a homeless, like literally I remember I, I made a post about it on my Facebook, like asking the couple friends that I had that were in fraternities and sororities, like, is this really this is okay with you. And this is, I mean, like, this is funny to you and specifically asking the women, like you're okay with like being referred to like this, like, this is like, I, uh, this is insane to yeah. me. Well, I mean, I, I think that that's, I've, I've always thought that if you're a woman on a Greek heavy campus, you know, it's at some point you've got to like, like it's so in your face. It's Ugh, so, so there. Ugh. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who's going to write me a letter and tell me how wonderful Greek culture was for them and how it was oh, the and key I'm to sure it. they had a great and experience. I, I, me too. I'm, and I know, I, so we all know there are good things can happen in that setting and nonetheless. But so it's like, but like what I want to leave that behind just for a second because what I'm interested in is by that time, by the time you're in college, you're, you're probably like, like now, you know, in today, today you are a Las Vegas showgirl. Yeah, essentially, yes. <laughs> or, or, or what? What's the correct term? A, a, a performance um, artist, a, a, an entertainer. Yeah, enter, entertainer. Because showgirls are actually literal, actual showgirls, and I um, that where they wear the amazing like feathered headdresses. That's a specific um, actual job that right. a lot of women in Vegas. But I've never done showgirl stuff. Enter, yeah, entertainer, performer, model in. Vegas. It's Jill of all trades, lots of stuff. Okay. So I'm guessing yes. when you're a junior in, and, and, and in a sense, when you're in that profession, you are trading on your physical abilities and your physical appearance. Yes. Well, I started doing, I, um, and I still do. I started with uh, circus performance. That's how I got into the performance world. And then the, the modeling and go-go dancing happened after I moved to Vegas when it was like, Oh, well, this is where, this is just where the work is. And I, the action and, is, and I, yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it was great. It was just an extension makes, of what I was which doing. Which makes sense. But like, if you had been like, you know, a, a four foot tall, very overweight fire performer, you still could have still been a fire performer, but then you wouldn't have been able to make the transition to, entertainer in vegas the, the way you No, have. i you could you can be short you can be super short but yeah you your body has to fit a your body has to yeah, fit right. a certain fitness standard yeah and, and so my point is when you're at ut while you were not yet in the industry you were probably already a physically striking person that drew attention um i yeah I, I guess i got the whole like i grew up with the ugly duckling syndrome i don't know if you've ever heard I was I teased in, okay, okay, well, I was teased in high school for, like, the things where the guy would ask me out as a joke in front of his friends type situation. And, and so I didn't, quote, unquote, get hot until sometime in college. I was an art kid, so I had, like, a mohawk and painted my face with weird stuff and wore ripped clothing, and that's still my aesthetic in some way, but I, you know... I wasn't, I wasn't modeling it's really snuck, then. It snuck, was, up, it snuck up on you a little bit. Yes. It was all of a sudden like, oh, I guess people, I guess I'm fitting this conventionally attractive like paradigm that I never really considered myself to be in. And now all of a sudden I'm here. You know, it's so funny to hear you say that because I actually 
grew up with the, I don't know what you would call it, the handsome duckling syndrome, <laughs> where as a young guy, I had a, I, you know, I had long, luscious hair and I was an athlete and I was a good looking guy when I was in Can't high relate. school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, my whole self concept was formed at a moment at which I was at the peak of my social cachet. And like now I'm like bald headed, you know, like a crooked <laughs> teeth. Like, like I don't have any of that stuff left. Like, I, you know, like my, 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 my ankles are all messed up. I can't run. But my self image is still based on like I walk into a room and I'm sort of like, I bet everyone's looking at me because, you know, like I'm that guy. And I haven't been that guy for 30 years. But like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, my, my sort of se sense of self was forged in that moment. And, it's, you know, I think the ugly duckling is sort of the same thing. Like some, it doesn't matter how amazing looking a person becomes, like if they had a rough time in junior high. It um, always stays with them. It stays with them in some way. Yeah, I, yeah, I still, you know what, it's, it's weird because I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm a little better about it now, but I'm 29 and I've been yeah working as a model and, and for five years now, and I've literally been flown around the country to do, you know, do runway models yeah. and stuff. And I, and, but I still have this most like, people think I'm attractive. What is that? Like, I, I mean, it's better now, but I definitely... There were years where I, it's like, why are, why are people staring right. at me? I don't so, understand, so this, but it's also, I'm, I'm 5'11 and I have short, I mean, it's, I have features that are striking to people. That's yeah, just, yeah. no, yeah. no, I mean, that, absolutely. And so that, that, what, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm sort of driving that is I'm like, how do you think that affected you as a junior becoming aware of kind of all these other women being treated in all these weird ways or negative ways by men. Do you feel like your experience as a woman coming into your own sort of body and understanding of your, of, of the way you, you, you stand in the world? Like, do you think that speeded it up, slowed it down, um, took it sideways? Well, it's, I do, I get, I get more, attention when I'm all gussied up, I guess. But I'm also in Las Vegas on and I'm doing events like on the strip and and it's just a, it's a completely different world than being somewhere else. But I I was being catcalled and harassed in my frumpiest of states anyway, you know, and that's something that women were tr are trying to tell people. It's like, it doesn't matter like yeah, what we look like no. or if like, if it's perceived that we have an orifice that a man can like stick his dick into, right? Like we're going to be catcalled. Like that's just, it's as brutal and graphically as I could describe that, but it's, it's just true. It's like, and this, you know, starting from 12 and I guess to the day that we die, like it's just, uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm sure some people are like, oh, well, you're beautiful anytime. It's like, well, you know what? If I'm in literally dirty pajamas with a dirty hoodie and I'm just like shuffling to the grocery store, it's, I don't expect to be catcalled, but it happens. So I, you know, it's to me, because I have people try to tell me now, it's like, well, it's because you're really beautiful. Like, it's because you're really beautiful that men treat you this way and talk to you that way. And I'm trying to say that, like, that didn't happen until 
kind of recently, and I promise you it happens outside of the only that narrative of catcalling and harassment only happens to women who fit this really narrow standard of beauty. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you just have to ask. I mean, like you just would have to ask any woman you knew. Like, well, that, the, and then, the, and then the go really to your mother, go thing. to your mother, you yeah. know, go to your, like, you know, for me, like I was just asking my sister, I'm just going like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, you know, like I was in college and I was like, I'm hearing women in my dorm say that this happens, but like they're asking for it. Right. Like it doesn't happen to you. And she's like, Bart, dude. And, it, and, and, and so I was like, Oh, this, this is really universal. But I think all you have to do is ask around. Like that's, that's not a hard, that's, you don't, you have to work hard for that data. That and, but there's also this really messed up thing that happens where when women experience catcalling who are conventionally attractive or, or who are fat or who, whatever it is in your, and I don't believe that that's a bad thing because it's part of the whole intersectional feminism. When they say, Hey, this thing happened to me the response that they get is you should be grateful that's that a guy is giving you attention. And this is something that you should. So if, if it's a woman who's conventionally attractive, we it's, well, you can't blame them because you're pretty. And that's something that you just have to deal with. And, you know, cry me a river because pretty girl problems. And then if you're not conventionally attractive, it's you should be grateful and thankful for the attention that you're getting at all, because I certainly wouldn't have sex with you. Yeah, you, no, whole, you're, you're, you can't win. <laughs> No. And the weird thing is, is what, what, what I find is like a lot of people don't seem to understand is it is it's just scary. Like like Terrifying. three guys go by you in a truck and they call that to you. In a sense, like the subtext is, you know that if we wanted to, we could harm you. Like, like that, that is yeah. the subtext of the call. And 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 it's terrifying. Like I don't know anybody mm-hmm. who's not scared scared in that situation. It's um I've, yeah, scariest moments in my life have been, um, at the hands of men who have been threatening me. And I, you know, at at night, you know, cars pulling it, you know, they're, they, they pace you if you're on a sidewalk and they pace you on the road and then they pull into like a parking lot, like to try to get close to you, you know, men, if I had grabbed me where I had to literally like elbow them off me after they just grabbed me, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. So, so now, now I want to get back to like what you said. Yes. Okay. When you were talking, Mm -hmm. because on some level, what you were talking about is the way that people objectify women Yes. and, and turn them into sexual objects and do all that. And, 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 and I got to tell you, my first thought when you got up to do that is because, because you were dressed not crazy provocatively, but you were dressed. I had an arm out. I had my left arm out. (laughs) <laughs> and and that was and it was and it, right and it was clear to me like that's on purpose um and, and, and you know because like you're aware of how you're dressing and and so I'm thinking wait a second you're an enter you're a go go dancer mm-hmm. and you're and you're gonna give a talk about objectification and like you know my hackles were up yeah of course uh, and that's like, and I knew that that was the thing I know oh, <laughs> oh I know and it was brilliant because then what you did was you contrasted for me. What happens in a club where you're in control of the situation? Absolutely. And you've invited the attention, right? Like, it's yeah. like, it's like you, you contrasted the club situation. You're protected. There are boundaries. Yes. You're, you're getting paid. Yes. Um, you define the terms. Like you had I all the stuff. I choose to you're be like, there. I choose to, I would, not only did I choose to be there, I, it was, it's hard work to get there. Hard work. Right. 
lots so of aud- like auditioning with hundreds of other people. Like it's not easy to get that job. And then you, and, and but then the interesting thing, what you said was in that situation, I'm empowered. And I, I thought, mean, yeah, I'm in wait, control. Wait. Like you can, a guy, if anybody, you can even, if you're just rude to me, if you say anything inappropriate to me on stage, like at the, the snap of a finger and I, and then you're kicked out of the club and I'm like, okay, bye. Like, I don't have any of that control in real life at all, ever. You know, that's when I'm navigating the world just in public space, that's, it's all like, okay, well, how do I keep myself safe and how do I protect myself and, and, and keep my boundaries up. But on stage, it's, I feel the most, I'm so, I'm so safe because even, okay, worst case scenario, a guy hits me or tries to pull me off the stage or whatever happened. Worst case scenario, it's only going to happen for what a couple seconds, and then and then security is going to be there. Metro is going to be called. We're going to be in the back filling out a report. They're going to be taken down to holding. I'm going to fill out a security report. like it's like I'm not even even with the whole potential for worst case scenario. Like I know that I'm fine. Yeah, and 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 the interesting thing is, I was like, but you're objectifying yourself and when i said i said it to my wife i said but like but like she's objectifying herself she's selling herself as a sexual object in that moment an object of lust or an object of a desire and my wife said to me she said yeah you know like we all sell our like a a guy sells his body to be a human shovel and digs a ditch a a person sell he's like we are all we all objectify ourselves like i am a a, i am a bank teller i am a human atm like i am a car fixing you she's like she has the right and so that was like you know it's funny my wife was just like what are you talking about like that's that's total like objectification isn't the problem when i when I sell a part of myself, the problem is when you steal it. That, yes. And, and that was the contrast. The contrast you made was you said, if I'm in an office and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, that's a really sexy outfit you're wearing. That's not like, what I'm there for. <laughs> that's, not, I, I, that's not what I'm getting paid for. That's not part of the bargain. I didn't, I, I'm not safe. I don't know what the boundaries are. And I didn't this sign up for really that. Awful. And that's not, and this, this job performance is not based on my appearance. And the whole, that point of, if you think that sex workers sell their bodies, but coal miners do not, you have a very non-objective view of more of morality. You know, you, the whole selling your body and pe- like, don't you don't like, you hate it whenever people like objectify you or treat you. And I'm like, you know what, where that happened, just waitressing. It's the, the, the way people talk to you. If you talk to any retail worker, any service industry worker, the way people talk to you, the way they treat you, they don't, you know, like when you're, hopefully you don't do this and I'm not the kind of person that does this, but you have waitresses and waiters, service industry people who are like, hi, welcome to so-and-so. Can I take you? And they don't even let them finish. Don't look at them, like just bark their orders at that. And that's, that's to me dehumanizing and objectifying. Like you don't see, you're not recognizing this whole human being and you're not that being polite or whatever that we, we find the term objectification is kind of just reserved for activities that women do that people disapprove of. And when we talk about that, like at what point is this bad and objective, like are the backup dancers for Beyonce doing what I, is that, is, is that bad? Do we say that's objectification Are Cirque du Soleil dancers? Like, where do you draw right. that line on this isn't okay because this is objectification? Now, now, 
do you feel any do you feel any sort of not I don't I don't know hypocrisy or or like you're working against yourself in the sense of you don't want women to be held to that standard and yet you know that like the Playboy magazine people and the and and the the dancer the strippers and all, all of mm-hmm. that that's going on out there mm-hmm. reinforces the idea like that's the that's the correct like that is the most desirable woman like that's oh, what we're no, looking it, for it does i'm i absolutely recognize that like it's not it this i'm not gonna lie to you and say that like it's everything about it is a hundred percent fine and there's nothing wrong with it it's like these choices don't happen in a vacuum right because at the end of the day when i'm on stage like i am selling this idea that this is what is sexy and it's not that it's not it's just not the only way not that being conventionally attractive it's not that's not what's important in life like we like hopefully we understand that looks are fleeting it's ephemeral it doesn't matter but like it's like the body it's hair thing. Like, I mean, like, I, like I have to shave my armpits, right? Like that right. is annoying. That's annoying to me. Like because it's so basic, it's such a basic argument. Like, but that's expected of me, and I'm and I have to adhere to that. And because otherwise, it's not sexy. Otherwise, it's seen as gross. So that's that's something that like I that's contributing to the narrative, right? Like, and I recognize that that's contributing to the narrative. Right. So, so you, you know, it's funny. My dad had a professor in college who said, um, when, when accused of something hypoc- about being a hypocrite, he said, he said, the question is not whether or not one will be a hypocrite. The question is, what are the limits of one's hypocrisy? Yes. And I thought that was a great line. Like, look, okay. Like, you know, and I say I care about poor children, but like, and then I go buy myself a bicycle. You know, we all, you know, like we say we care about the poor, but we, you know, we go on vacation, you know, yeah, we, say I, we care I, about the hunger. Yeah, I care about the environment. I care about the environment, but I right. bought a bag of chips and that bag isn't recyclable. Like, yeah. And I drove up here. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. So we, okay. So, so you recognize that there's some level of that. Here's now, here's the question I've got for you. Mm-hmm. When you talk about leaving the performance space. Yes. So then I'm, I'm at the beach. Mm-hmm. And two women come walking down the beach in string bikinis. Yeah, I got a couple of them myself. And, Love them. <laughs> right, right. Now, those women are not in the performance space. Yes. But I would swear to you sometimes when I see them walking down the beach, I feel like they are actively seeking the male gaze. And, 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 and you go like, that may be true and it doesn't matter. Or do you go like, you're crazy. Like, that's just your jacked up, messed up thing. Like, because sometimes I feel like, like those, there are women that are out there inviting attention. And then when they get whistled at, they smile and laugh. And, and, and I know that there's the one narrative that says they have to do that so they don't get beat up. Yes. But like, is, is but, but that's not the only, that's not all that's going on there, is it? You're right. I mean, the thing is, because look, the thing is like some, like sometimes I want to dress up sexy and I don't mind people appreciating in this very shallow way of like, Hey, the girl's hot. I'm like, yeah, cool. Cause I worked hard on it that you can appreciate somebody being attractive and not be an asshole about it and not dehumanize that person because when you see those women and you go okay well i think they're doing it for attention you still recognize that they're human beings and that they don't exist for you 
even if they want male attention. Like that's the thing that like. Yeah, but you see, you got to understand, Glenda, I come from Christianity. So oh, I, oh, yeah, I, same. <laughs> right. So when I appreciate them, I start feeling guilty long before like, like, like not that I would ever say anything to them, yeah. but like I start feeling, I start feeling guilty just when I form a thought in my mind. Oh yeah. That conditioning that. is really, yeah. That, that yeah. Christian guilt conditioning is great. But, but what I hear you saying is, is that it's okay to form the thought. It's okay to appreciate even though they're not in the performance space, but it's not okay to cross a line. And I guess like, where do you think that line is? Um, you know, like I, I think any, it's like, it's like sexual comments, you know, it's like, Hey, you're like, I don't know. Cause obviously some people, they come across as not being bothered by it or some people actively aren't bothered by it, but you were right in the point on like, Oh, when women seem to not be bothered by catcalling, that is absolutely a strategy of, pr- of protection of self-preservation of like, I don't want to make you mad. So I'm going to smile that you've just whistled at me. You know, I, um, I think if you like, if you're like, when I go out to a bar or whatever, and I have a man approach me and they like, Hey, can I, whatever they want to say. And I say, no, thank you that needs to be the end of the conversation. And if you want to say that that's where the line is, like that needs to be the end of the conversation is accepting when women say no under, but also it's not that I know that it's not that easy because we are conditioned to not say no, we're conditioned to appease and we're conditioned to let men down gently. So sometimes that feels ambiguous. So, so part of this is only possible if you, you have to become educated about the socialization that women go through and understanding the various social techniques that we've been conditioned to have of appeasing men's egos and the constant, I I know this sounds, this is getting like into pretty complicated territory, but like when you're having a conversation with a woman, understanding that like, she's probably doing a lot of things to make sure that your feelings are to stay safe and that your feelings are protected to me, you know, I think that there's a big, like, I don't mind being told that I'm pretty, like, I don't mind like, Hey, you're really beautiful. Like, I don't, I don't mind that. I'm just not going to get mad about that. If you are creepy about it, because there is a line, like somebody can call me beautiful and be any age, any demographic. And I don't mind that. But if somebody says, Hey, your tits are sexy. Like, I'm going to get mad about that. Like to me, it's, I think that that comes down to like common sense on like where the line is. It's like, you, would you be okay with somebody saying it to your daughter? Cause I have to humanize it in that way. Yeah. You know, I've got to make it personal, but yeah. Like, would you be okay with somebody saying this to like, you know, a, a woman in your life that you personally care about? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, all of this stuff feels very common sense to me, but I think the whole point that I, the whole point that I'm, I'm coming to grips with is that it's, it's, it's not common. It's not, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I have young men that I, I love and think are, are, are close to me and, you know, I've been driving down the street with them and they'll go to, they'll go call, they'll, they'll go to call something out of the window of my car Ugh. and I'll be like, you know, and I'll, and I'll stop them and like have to have long conversations in which I, and they're like, no, they like it. And you know, yeah, I, see I, that, just, that blows my mind. I've never had that experience because men don't tend to do that around other women. No, 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 not women. They, so they I, I've care. never, I've never, cause I have, so I've, I've never had, I've never, ever, ever been with any men 
and they've catcalled or whistled or uh, at another woman. Like I've never had that experience, and I don't even know how I would handle oh, it. Oh, that's that that's that's the nice man's that's the nice man's burden. Um, the nice man's burden is you're you're in situations where men cross those lines, and so like what I found really important about what you did was is that you took the experience of lusting after a woman you don't know. Which I do. Like, I do that. I'm interested in women too. I can look at women and be like, wow, she's super hot. She's pretty. Yeah, yeah. And I think what you did was you took that experience that, that most men have had of seeing a woman Mm -hmm. and noticing her and being sort of like, having thoughts run through their mind and like, and what you said was, Hey, in this situation, it's okay to keep staring. Cause like you're paying, you're paying, you're paying me and I'm safe. And I've, I've, er, I want your stare. I've invited your stare. I'm literally on a pedestal for you. you. And then you were like, and in this situation, that's completely inappropriate. And and like, you know, I was thinking of other situations in which I go like, in this situation, it's completely appropriate for me to look at an 18 year old kid who's not my, not, not my son and say, go get me a steak and I want it cooked this way and bring me a Coke while you're at it. And I'm just going to sit here. It's totally appropriate Mm -hmm. in a restaurant. But like, if I'm like, at the beach and this 18 year old kid walks by me, I can't, you know, I can't say to him, go get hey, me an ice. Hey, yeah. Go get me a burger. I want a Dr. Pepper with that. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, and, and, and do not, and, and do not cook it too much. Like it's totally inappropriate. And that's where, that's where I thought like your, your contract, your talk was, was, that's why it meant a lot to me because it came from a woman who was sort of saying, I'm not saying it's wrong of you to be turned on by women that you pass on the street. No, and that, no, not at all. I'm just telling you in what situation you can do what, and in what situation you you, you can if you want to if you don't want to be a bad person or you don't want to be a jerk. And that was really helpful to me. I'm gl- I'm glad. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, because I think the thing for me was is my thought was if you really aren't. If, if is objective is I I thought like what right does she have to say that objectification is wrong, and it wasn't until like after your talk like and I'm in the argument with my wife and my friends, when I'm like oh she wasn't saying objectification was wrong she was saying objectification against my will and without my permission and without my payment is wrong. Well, and and once again that word objectification like. <sighs> you can see someone as a, as a really sexy person and still see them as a human being. Like that is something yes, like I yeah. get, sometimes I get a little tired with, the, of the word objectification. Like does, because to me that implies like you see someone as sexy, but you as, but as an object, you don't see them as a whole person. And I don't know if it's just me working in anytime you see a person or a picture or a per, whatever you recognize that there is an entire human being behind that. Like I don't, the whole objectification thing is, seeing someone is really sexual, but understanding they're a human being. Like I, you know, but these but men who can't call from cars, like that experience, like to me, that's premium objectification because you don't, you aren't considering when you say don't recognize the person as a human, her thoughts and feelings are not coming into your brain at all. You are not thinking at all 
in your mind of like, how does this really affect that person? It's about what you want. It's about what you want and your feelings and how you feel and not how's this making this person feel at all. Yeah. And that to me is the definition that to me is objectification. It's this selfish, like it's my feelings that matter and not the other person's, their entire life, identity, agency, all that kind of thing. All right. So you, do you think I got it? I think, I think that was, this has been an awesome conversation. Like, yeah. There's a lot to still learn. Yeah. 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 No, there's, there's always a lot to learn. <laughs> but for me, for me, like what I, what I was kind of hoping to do was I was hoping to give, to let some people overhear us talk, but like, I wanted them to get that mm -hmm. core thing from your talk. Now in your talk, like you did, you took it all the way back to the Greeks and the objects, you know, uh, you know, ideal, I idealization of women. Like, I mean, you like, there was a lot more intellectual heft. Art history. Yes. And I yes. appreciated that. I appreciated well, that. Well, and the important part of that was we've had, we've had these images of women throughout time. And we find that when they become unacceptable or inappropriate is when there is the suggestion of sexuality with those women. Like you seeing the women in string bikinis on the beach, at what level for you are they not? Is it how much material does the bikini need to have where you go, okay, they aren't asking me to look at them? Because there are women who are, our bodies aren't, there was a teacher who, she became this like topic of conversation because she had a very hourglass figure. This, you know, she had large breasts and a small waist and, you know, large ass and all that. And she looked great. Like she looked beautiful, but like that was this conversation of she can't wear, what is she supposed to wear? Like a burlap sack. Like there, there are people whose bodies are sexualized regardless of what they're wearing and the whole like, okay, well they're asking for it. It's like, okay, what, what list of clothing can you write down for this person to wear for them to be on an approved list of, okay, now they're not asking for it because we're navigating the space as a woman talking about this. Like it doesn't to me, like, like this approved, this subjective list of each individual's person going, okay, this is clothing that I think you're asking for in this clothing, or I think you want me to look at you in this clothing. Yeah. And I, I, I sort of feel like I'm going to look. Yes. And you say like, but it's incumbent upon you to look and then look away. Right. And I go like, yeah, it kind well, of is. Yes. Like, kind like, of. Like, don't be creepy. The, exactly. That, and that's the weird thing is like, it really boils down to it's unfair to say to me, don't be aware of your surroundings or don't notice that woman and don't notice her hourglass figure. And you go like, but what you're saying is somehow I'm supposed to notice her hourglass figure, but not draw attention to the fact that I'm noticing her hourglass figure for her sake. And I go like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. What that's, I'm I mean, saying because is like, haven't you, have, have you ever had people stare at you like, and then like really make you feel uncomfortable and unsafe? Right. I, I'm, I'm so glad it's helpful for you. And this is why like I, this conversation is so big. There's so many facets and aspects to this. This is why it, it like it, this, well, this well-rounded intersectionality has to include all of these different aspects. If we're going to have a productive conversation, because they all relate to each other in our social web of culture. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen, sister. I got to go. I got to go too. I, I got to go. I'm going to go and, pick and, up and, some and, friends. All right. Go, go. I'm glad you have them. I'm glad you have yeah, them. Yeah. Thank you, my Thank friend. Thank you so this much. Has this is just been a delight. Yeah. I, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll cross paths again, but I, I just, this is really lovely and I'm, I'm just really grateful to you. Awesome. I've had such a wonderful time. Thank you so much for inviting me. 
All right. Keep up the good work. I'll talk to you soon. You too. All right. That was me and Glenda Jordan. I, I, you know, once again, like I feel like I made a new friend. I hope that if you're a part of this podcast community, I hope you feel like you made a new friend. Uh, we'll, we'll post all of Glenda's stuff on, on the page so you can, you can, uh, connect with her if you so desire, um, in an appropriate way, I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I would hope she would never hear from anybody in the humanize me world that wouldn't be absolutely wonderful because that is what we are going for. We are actually going for being the most human, humane, and full of wonder people we can possibly be. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for being with today. I'm going to cut this off and we're going to, because I'm in Menominee, like I told you, and I'm supposed to go on a bike ride and I got to go. So I'm going to go ride my bike and I'll see you next time back here in the world of Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. To leave a question in your own voice to be used in future shows, call the Humanize Me Q-Line at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. Humanize Me is a production of Jax Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.